0: Hey guys, it's Carrie and Zach here from the Coffee and KOs crew, and Zach, I got a question for you. You ever wake up on a Sunday morning and think, man, I'll cook the family some breakfast this morning? Yeah, time or two. Have you ever noticed how you throw the sausage links up on the griddle to one side, you throw the eggs up on the griddle to the other side, you never cook them touching? No, you don't ever want them to touch, it's weird. Yeah, I agree, man. I just, and, and it got me to thinking, why do we do that with our underwear? I have no idea. That's a really good question. Uh, Yeah, I think it is too. But let me tell you, fellas, sheath has solved that problem. They have come out with men's underwear with not one, but two pockets to keep your eggs and sausage separated. Thank goodness. This has been a problem for way too long. I can't believe it took, I'm 26 years old, 26 years at least, to come up with uh, something so intelligent. The material is great. Everything about sheath underwear is amazing. And what's even better, we have a promo code. Promo code COFFEE and KOs. If you use the promo code COFFEE, the letter N, KOs, at checkout, you get 20% off your entire order. It's a hell of a deal. And let me tell you, the underwear are well worth it. So make sure you go to sheathunderwear.com, promo code COFFEE and KOs. Make sure you separate the sausage and the eggs. And make sure you sheath your dagger, sheathunderwear.com, Coffee and K.O.'s promo, 20% off. Go get yourself the most comfortable underwear in the world, and don't forget to sheath your dagger. Ladies and gentlemen, Fight
1: Bananas presents Coffee and K.O.'s Outside the Octagon. We're crazy about fights and jacked on caffeine.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Coffee and KOs podcast and another special Outside the Octagon interview with Tyson Chartier. Thank you for joining us, man.
1: Uh, Thanks for having me, guys.
0: So uh, I know Steve is super excited. Steve is a Boston guy through and through. This is one he's been uh, wanting to do forever. So, Steve, I will let you ask the first question. Wow. Yeah. Thanks for the honor, Zach.
2: But yeah, Tyson, obviously, uh New England cartel fan here. I grew up like in the suburbs of Boston. And I know Rob, Calvin, all those guys are from the area. And you're from New Hampshire, right?
1: Yeah. I'm in Southern New Hampshire and Auburn. But I grew up in, yeah, I grew up in Southern New Hampshire at the high school, college in Manchester, but now I'm in Auburn.
2: There you go. But uh, yeah, my first question was going to be Are you tired of answering questions about Rob and Calvin?
1: No, man. It's It's, it's like, Rob said it best one day, I think it was Will Harris. We were in Brooklyn and he's like, you ever get sick of the cameras in your face? He's like, nah, man. Like someday no one's going to want to put a camera in my face. So you got to kind of appreciate it when you, uh, you can. It's I got, I, you know, I kind of described it. I got two, two ponies in the race. They're both, you know, I consider them both top five guys. And, um, you know, I, I'm very fortunate to have that. And along with that comes a lot of people asking questions about Rob McCalvin.
2: Yeah. Naturally. And then so what, what was like the tipping point, in your opinion, when like things just started to kind of like blow up completely?
1: I think it was, uh, I think really it was kind of UFC 220 kind of, you know, when they both got knockouts and people started to kind of like, you tell it a different energy. But then really it was uh, coming into uh, the pandemic starting, you know, we just lost as a beat. And then the pandemic happened, we had a big fight and there was nothing going on. And, you know, we all stay pretty active in, uh, you know, the media and stuff like that. We just started to get more energy and all eyes on the, uh, on the cartel and Calvin coming back and, um, you know, great knockout over Jeremy Stevens when there was no sports happening. So then everybody's like, wait, who, who are these guys? And, you know, Calvin had a lot to do with that. And then, you know, he parlayed that into another win in, uh, in July and, um, yeah, then all of a sudden it was like, oh, who who's this new in the cartel? What are they all about? And who's in the cartel? What is it? And uh, people started asking questions. And then that really kind of gave us everything, you know, two big fights in you know, Rob in the year with Marlon and then um, Calvin having the the max fight both well, to the end of the year with like all this, you know, momentum and energy. And then Rob getting that big win parlayed that into the end of the year, but he's talking with cartel. and. You know we were fortunate enough to be in the running for like team of the year with a lot of the uh, the major awards and um you know we we're a finalist for mma junkie so that's the top team, and you know just things like that and uh it was cool man it's just you know it's good to see someone from you know a group from new england getting recognition on the national stage and you know these guys have been working at it for a while and you know the whole team has it's nice to see you know the you know, the reward's finally coming in terms of uh, recognition for those guys and the smaller numbers next to the name and bigger fights across from them in the cage.
0: So I actually wanted to go back to Rob quick. So obviously this past weekend we had the we had the weird scenario with Jan and Sterling, and then we were also seeing that possibly like Rob wanted Dillashaw. And so now everything kind of gets, I feel like, backlogged a little bit because of Sterling and Jan now have to run it back, is there, was that something that kind of like sucked when you guys saw it uh, on Saturday?
1: I mean, not really, because, you know, we we always say we just focus on what we can control, and all we can control is the name we have in front of us next, which uh, I think we're getting close to finally being able to talk about, um, but we're not quite there yet. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's all we can control. It's one fight at a time. If you're thinking about like, oh, how this affects our next fight, the next one and that's when you start to get sidetracked and you lose focus on the uh, you know you lose focus on the immediate goal and um, yeah I mean it was unfortunate what happened I don't, I don't think Aljo wanted to win it that way I don't think Aljo really wanted to obviously lose, that, lose it that way but you know they'll run it back and it sounds like they're going to do Sandhagen Hagen and, and TJ and the winner of that fight will get the, the winner of uh, the rematch you know
2: I, I had a question just going back a little bit so obviously rob and calvin have just like become these mega stars in the ufc but i feel like it's different in the ufc because it's still not a huge sport do you guys like if you go out into the public do people know who they are like have they like are people starstruck yet or are they not at that level yet
1: it's been tough because since we you know since they finally got like kind of blew up a little bit it the pandemic's been happening so it's been different you know Uh, after the igay fight me calvin and uh buddy Jay had the three of us went out to dinner in in, uh, a Tuscan grill in uh, southern New Hampshire and um, someone you know bought the table a drink and then the manager came over and said hey you know we watched the play we're really you know really excited to have you guys here they offered us a bottle of wine we were like no we're good and at the end they comped our meal and then a few people came up and asked for pictures so you're starting to see that stuff more Um, you know like on fight weeks now it's you know we were on fight island and there was like some of the russian kids asking to come up and take pictures with calvin you know so you started to see some of the newer guys looking up to guys like calvin and rob and asking to take their picture um so you know that's a cool checkpoint and um i was in what was it i was in walmart before i went to fight Island last time and someone came up I was looking at like phone chargers or something and they're like like, oh, you buying stuff for the cartel and like the guy who I was. So I thought that was pretty no cool. No way. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's little by little, you know. I think we'll start to get the the, the recognition that you know, I'll never obviously get it as much as they do, but uh, you know, if I know if I'm getting it once, they're probably getting a lot more. i not around. I mean, my uh, the guy that does my financial like like handles my 401k and all that stuff. My financial advisor. He texts me one day. He's like, "Yo, Rob's it market basket buying cookies like, what so i text mark i text rob you at market basket buying cookies he's like what the frig man i can't go anywhere so uh, <laughs> you know it's just kind of funny you know it's, i guess there's a there's a bad side to being recognized too right
0: oh yeah 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 i mean i would do anything for people to follow me around and complain that i'm buying cookies i think that'd be freaking awesome <laughs> uh they, they would be complaining about a lot more than that i'd be buying more than one package of cookies i can guarantee that um so i gotta ask we normally ask this all the time on all of our interviews are you a coffee guy you're an agent and a coach you gotta stay stay uh energized somehow are you a coffee guy or not oh man all right the fake caffeine that's that fake caffeine
1: i can't get that hans mollenkamp money but i I pay for it every morning Um,
0: i mean dominic cruz does not like hans uh, mollenkamp that's all i gotta say (laughs) <laughs> yeah that was I guess crazy not,
1: you know it's uh that, that's pretty funny but you know you've heard a lot of stuff through the grapevine about i i don't know the guy you know i, I don't even follow him on instagram and i have tried to reach out to him a few times about robin calvin and i have reached out through the ufc and he's point blank like no not interested and i think it, it comes very clicky you know it's kind of you're in with that group or you're not and you know it's kind of like you know there's like battle lines drawn in certain places and this certain person might have a a monster deal, and they're like, "Well, I don't like those guys." And then you know, it's just it's stupid. Um, but I drink it every day, you know. it was nice not to not to have to pay for it. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, if what if what Dom's alluding to is true, good for Dom, man. You know, like step up. You know, we have a lot of shadiness that goes on on the business side of the sport, and a lot of people just kind of keep their head down and don't don't mention it or don't try to fix it. I think I'm one of the people that's kind of vocal and trying to like trim the fat or cut the BS and, and make this a more legitimate sport on the business side. And um, I think a lot of people don't want to talk about it. You know, it's, uh, it's unfortunate. And I think there needs to be a lot of better, better treatment for the fighters from, you know, coaches, camps, agents, everything. And uh, you know, I have no problem. I have nothing to hide. I have, uh, you know, no secrets with other coaches, no secrets with other managers. It's all about with me. It's just all about what can I do to help serve the fighters better? And I, I don't think a lot of other uh, coaches or managers have that philosophy. So, you know, and then the sponsors too, you know, so for, if what is, you know, he was alluding to is true. I, I'm, you know, good for Dom. I gained a lot of respect for him by standing up for something that uh, he believed in and kind of, you know, cause he's the one getting paid, you know, he's getting paid by this guy and he potentially loses a sponsor by saying something, but potentially there could be open a lot more doors for younger fighters or, or make a lot, you know, more likely that other fighters aren't going to have to deal with the same type of BS.
2: I, I think it, it's really interesting, like what you can do with that uh, platform. Like you get a big win, and then obviously the post fight interview is always like kind of must watch television. Like, do fighters prepare for that moment? Like, do they have a name in mind if they're going to do a call out? Or Dom Cruz maybe already had that in his head when he was going to win. He was like, I'm going to call this guy out. Do fighters actually like prep for that moment?
1: No, I, I think I, I can't speak for every camp. But um, I know with our team, it's generally right after the fight. I was something in their ear about like, hey, this is the next move. But I don't talk to him about that before the fight. Because like I said, we have one goal at hand and it's to, to beat the guy in front of us. If we're thinking anything past that, you know, it's my job to think past that, right? I just think of, you know, contingency plans and plan B, plan C, all that stuff. But we're not, you know, I discuss that with a fighter beforehand. And fortunately with Rob and Calvin, like, you know, they really do trust me. And, um, you know, so if I say a name to them or say whatever, for example, like after the Lamas fight, we knew that there was uh, a, rumors of a Boston card happening. So then on the way back right after the fight, before we did any sort of media, um, Dana pulled us into a little room. He's like, yeah, you know, like I'm going to Boston and this and that. And uh, so on the way over to the interview, I said, J- just say you want to headline the Boston card. It's not going to happen but just throw it out there at your head, you know, you want to headline a card. So that way people write articles about Calvin with the headline and subliminally you're putting it out there in the universe of like Calvin Cater headliner, you know, and then, um, so he put it out there and then sure enough, he, you know, he ended up not getting on the Boston card, but he headlined his next fight. And then, um, you know, just like little things like that, you know, uh, you don't always have to call out a person or call out an idea, you know, Calvin's also said in the past, you love to push on the ultimate fighter. you know, kind of putting that out there. I think that'd be a cool experience for him and the team. Um, but yeah, generally, I think some every every camp is different. You know, I've met some fighters that they go out there and win, and their coaches in their ear without talking to me and just telling them to call out someone that was totally stupid call out. It doesn't make any sense, but it makes sense for him because it's a his guy. You know, his gym getting it to fight a guy, a big name, even if it didn't make sense financially or career wise for the fighter, it was cool for his gym. So I think you know you run into that sometimes. And um, yeah, I, don't, I can't say there's a right way to do it for everybody but that's kind of how we handle it
0: and uh i gotta ask were you a coach first or were you a manager first
1: i don't know man i freaking i was fighting and i got myself fights so i was like managing myself so i guess technically i was managing myself but then um i was coaching all the guys at the, you know we'd be at team practice and i'd be like the oldest guy there most experienced So the next turn i'm running team practice and then um guys that you know need fights like hey can you get me a fight i'm like i'll get you a fight but then i cornering him in the fight you know but i was never called coach it was like a really weird dynamic and then finally you know three and a half years ago almost four years ago when we split off then it was like official like tyson's my head coach and then i started to get recognized as a coach but i'm not doing anything different that i haven't been doing for rob since 2009 but it wasn't until probably 2017 that anybody actually called me as coach
2: okay gotcha and then so just quickly going back to your your fight career, so how important is it to you that you walked away from pro MMA with a record above five hundred?
1: I mean, it's less embarrassing, but even being four and three as a pro is pretty embarrassing, and I lost to some guys that I shouldn't have lost to. But but I also never had any delusions of like going to the UFC. You know, like you know, we bring UFC guys into the gym and they do camps with us and stuff like that, and I'd be fine. But I got into it. I didn't have my first fight till I was 28. I didn't turn pro till I was 30. And uh, I had a really bad neck. Um, It was bad. I'm like a a good example of everything not to do in your MMA career. You know, fighting when you have concussions, fighting, you know, crash dieting. I did a bunch of wrong stuff that I helped my guys avoid doing themselves. But, uh, you know, it it was a good experience to help me as a coach. I think it makes me a much better coach. But um, honestly I don't know how much I would say like some of the best wrestling coaches weren't great wrestlers. Some of the best wrestlers ever aren't great coaches. And I think you see the same thing in MMA, you know. I don't think you have to necessarily be the best fighter to be the be, you know, to be the best coach. Um, I just think you the fact that you fought kind of gives you an edge up on people that didn't fight, just to understand the mental side of it a little bit more.
0: So would you say that you are officially retired from the sport?
1: How? Yeah, I was just, <laughs> dude, when you, go, when you go four and three, there's nothing to retire from. You just stop. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I wasn't naive enough to think that I needed to make a retirement statement. It was like, all right, broke my thumb in my last fight. I lost to a kid I should have killed. I'm four and three. It's time to just focus on coaching. And, you know, then I got, uh, I broke my thumb in the fight and that was like in October, 2012. I got neck surgery in December and then got the thumb operated on in April and met my wife, at the, you know, I just met my wife before the October fight. And then I'm like two surgeries, I'm falling in love, I'm getting fat and happy and there's <laughs> no looking back. There's no cutting weight down to 170 or 155 again. So um, at that point, we just started focusing on coaching and managing the guys.
2: But. Pathetically. So, say someone like in your similar position, he's a coach, manager guy, James Krause. Like, say there's like a super fight between coach and manager, and they offered you that fight. Is that something you would take?
1: James Krause would kick my ass. Like, no, <laughs> <I would> fight, <laughs> no I'm not. I'm not. I'm not dumb, you know. Um, but I I would like an old guy like CM Punk or something, you know. What I mean, that would be more fair. Okay. Um, you know, because I was never. It's not like I made it to UFC then retired. That would be like a Mike Brown thing. Like, yeah, Mike Brown would come out if he was the same size as James Charles. Something like that would make sense. But yeah, me, me fighting like someone like CM Punk would make more sense. And I mean, it'd almost be like kind of embarrassing because if I got kill him. But you know, <laughs> it's uh, but, yeah, that that type of fight maybe I you know get off the couch and go through a camp just for the experience, so my kids could see me fight on TV. Something like that. But um, I'm realistic with my skill set. I'm not gonna try to change, cause.
0: Steve, see, I'm, t- and also, he mentioned getting fat and happy when you get married. Steve, you're getting, you just got engaged. I'm trying to tell you, dude, the weight will come. It happened to me. It happened oh, to Carrie over here. It happens, man. why well, I, I just turned
2: 28, so maybe I, it's time for me to start fighting. I can get back into good shape there, too.
0: Never yeah, too late. Is that what you're saying?
1: Yeah, the best thing about fighting is the dieting. That's,
0: That's the, the best part?
1: part? Well, I mean, in terms of not being fat, you know. <laughs> the true. Worst yeah, part, true, it's, but... it's at least fun, but it uh it at least makes you look good, you know. I don't think I would have gotten a out of that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I agree. My That's wife true. is like I, my friends always say, you outran the punt coverage on on that one cuz my wife is like beautiful and here I am and I'm also like severely overweight. But like 7 years ago, that wasn't the case, you know. It was after I got married that all that kind of happened.
1: Oh yeah, so. that's what happens. You get comfortable in a relationship. You're not chasing tail all around. You don't really care to look anymore. Uh, it's tough. And then now with like the travel and stuff, it's you know I don't I need to be more disciplined about eating better on the road.
0: Yeah, I would think that's that's difficult. I feel like so I'm a big road trip guy. I love road trips. But the best part about the road trips is eating like shit. Like that is the the best part of a road trip when you can hop in a a Wawa or a Sheets at two a.m. and grab a monster and a candy bar.
1: Yeah, I mean, in like, what, five, nine hours, I'm leaving here. So 5, 5 a.m., I'm going to leave here, go pick up Rob, Calvin, and Tom, and we're going to drive to Philly tomorrow to uh, get medicals done Then weigh in on Wednesday and fight on Thursday night. You know, Tom's making his pro debut. And I'm like texting the group. I'm like, all right, guys, here's the itinerary. Calvin, you're bringing donuts, right? You know, <laughs> he's like, <laughs> so you're okay, get a five-hour drive to Philly? I'm like, yeah, hey, you better bring a lot of donuts, you know. Uh <laughs> yeah it it's tough it's you know i've done it i've, I've you know gone on like diets and keto and stuff being able to handle it a week but it's like one little slip up and then you're like ah, i might as well just eat like crap the rest of the week and then you have fun with your boys and especially me and calvin we'll go in on some food it'll be fun
2: yeah I you guys have you. like a, a local favorite place you guys are in what haverhill that you train at
1: yeah so they're they all three of them live in haverhill i live up in auburn but uh we always like to go to Salem new hampshire go to uh uh ralphie's it's a uh a the italian spot. place yeah on 20 20- there yeah right on broadway i think it's 91 south broadway or something like that in salem and um right across the old like old racetrack yeah, we go there you know, anytime we get a bout agreement we go there have some chicken cutlet sign the bout agreement and then after the fight when or draw we go there have some chicken cutlet and lick our wounds or celebrate
0: I think it's it's a coincidence Steve is in Mass, and that's where you guys are now, and then we are actually closer to the Philly area, so now you're going to be in Philly this weekend.
1: Yeah. Well, not even in the weekend. I'm freaking driving, leaving Tuesday morning, come home. I don't know if we're going to leave Thursday night right after the fighting, and then drive overnight. I'm crazy with these road trips because I try to be home. My wife gets mad if I'm gone too much. I try not to abuse it. Um, like Two weeks ago, I was in Vegas. I was supposed to be there for a little night four nights and then I only ended up being there two nights because our opponent got COVID so I flew home and then last week I made a last minute decision I went down to Mississippi to corner Alexander Lou for Icon so I left like Thursday afternoon and came home Saturday morning so I was gone less than 48 hours and then now we just found out yesterday we're gonna fight Thursday so road trip in Philly this week so
2: yeah so the the short so the short notice fight pro debut fan of the short notice fights? I feel like we've talked to a lot of people who kind of say to stay away from that, depending on how you look at it.
1: Yeah, short notice, long notice, it's, it's all about the matchup. You know, you, you're, ch- you're chasing matchups, you're chasing good matchups, and uh, you know, Tom's, Tom's a skilled guy. He's been training for the whole pandemic. You know, he's been uh, sparring with the guys to help them with fights. He's been, you know, being a drilling partner with Calvin for the whole Max fight. Um, the guy trains like a professional, he's not even a pro yet. So, uh, we knew he was ready. We were just waiting for the right opportunity, and um, you know, we raised our hand at this one, and it, and it came through. And yeah, so it's like, it's, yes, yeah, it's technically a short notice, but it's not like he had a short camp. He's training the whole time. You know, Tom trained like a professional. You know, if anything, we have to tell him to train a little bit less so he doesn't, you know, kill himself.
0: So, has there ever been an instance where, like you, like a disagreement where you wanted the fighter to fight someone and they? Felt like a, someone else was a better matchup, and like, how do you resolve that?
1: No, generally, like, I'll always go with the fighter's vibe. Like, if I call up a fighter, and say, "Hey, they offered John Smith," and they're like, "Oh, really? Really? Uh, yeah, you know, I don't know. Like, do, do, do you think that's the move?" It's like, well, then the, by the way you're talking, I know it's not the move because you're already not loving it. You know, like, oh, I want that. When I say the name, like, let's go, you know, like when I said Marlon Morice to Rob, like, I already knew he was going to say us and I, I you know, I already knew it was going to fight. But like, when I said Marlon Morice, he was like, let's fucking go, you know, like that's the kind of, you know, the lack of hesitation. Like, I just need you to know, like, all right, let's go, let's get to work. Like, that's what I need. But I feel like, oh, wait, what's the day? Like, you think we do it like two weeks later? And then it's like, all right, we shouldn't be taking this fight. Cause generally, you've already kind of like lost the fight. Now you're taking a fight that you don't even like. And so generally, you try to read the, the fighter's body language or their tonality or, um, you know, their kind of reaction to it. And then, and then you go from there. But for the most part, it's like, if the fighter has the wrong reaction, I'm not trying to push that fight, especially in the local scene where you have a lot more leeway with saying yes or no to different people. um, And, you know, it's a little tougher.
0: And I'm assuming now, you probably already yeah. have a good relationship with the fighters where you already kind of already know, like once you see the matchup, they're kind of, you kind of already know that they're what vibe you're going to get from them right away, whether they're going to like it or not. I'm assuming. Cause I mean, New England cartel is also not like the biggest. And so it's cause it's newer, it's a newer gym. So I feel like you guys are probably really tight knit.
1: Yeah. With those guys, it's really easy. Um, with the guys that I don't coach, but I just manage, it's not as intimate cause I'm not on the math with them every day, but, um, with those guys, it's like every every fighter in their team. We handle matchups and fight selection differently. Some coaches like to be really involved. Some fighters want to be really involved. Some fighters want to like, hey, let me watch video first. Some fighters like just text my coach and tell let let make the decision. And then others are just like, just tell me who I'm fighting. You know, I trust your judgment. So it's just every fighter is different. I don't have like a way that it has to be done for top game management. It, I just. I tell the fighters in the team when we start working together that we'll handle it however your team is comfortable with it. And then, and that's how it'll work.
2: And so, can you kind of walk us through how the the Max Holloway fight came about? Was that something the UFC wanted? Or is that something that you guys wanted? Or was it kind of like a mutual thing?
1: Well, I mean, I I don't think there's anybody that has aspirations to win a title that doesn't want to fight Max Holloway. You know, um, so that was like a no-brainer. I don't think anybody in the top five doesn't want to fight Max Holloway. So, um, yeah, we wanted to fight him, but when we raised our hand for the Zabit fight, um, for fill in for uh, a year back as the beginning of August, we raised our hand for that. And that's when the UFC was like, Hey, this one's not going to work out, but you know, we'd like to do you and Max, just stay ready. And then so we just started training for Max and then we didn't find out till that was August. And I think it was finally in October, um, I think it was October, November that we finally got the. Hey, you're gonna fight Max in January.
0: So, I gotta ask for as a manager and a coach, how many hours are you on the phone? Like, how often? Like, is your phone like just off the hook nonstop with you know constant conversations on booking fights and and everything else? Like, are you on the phone just a r- ridiculous amount? Like Ari Gold? Like Ari Gold? Steve has Ari Gold on here on his notes, and I'm looking at it. That was gonna and, be a uh, question, yeah the comparison yeah, no, I, to ari gold
1: i definitely am on the phone a lot um fortunately a lot of it is text and uh you know email so i'm, I'm caught, like right here every time you see me look over here do this is because i'm refreshing my email but um i just you know i stay on top of my email just because you know uh you, you never know what's coming in and then i'm always checking my uh my text messages so i have my phone on me it doesn't go off at night you know i keep it on loud and, um the phone is like I'm checking in with, you know, the coaches or the fighters and I try to like touch in, you know, give them a touch, just call and see how they're doing and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, it, it comes in spurts. There's, it's not like I'm um, every day I'm on the phone, 400 calls or anything like that, but it's definitely, it can get pretty busy and it's just about managing the, uh, you know, managing the relationships with the fighters and letting them know like, hey, I, I, you know, I'm on the mat right now, let me call you back. And I do a lot of the phone calls. I try to group them in while I'm driving you know, cause I'm driving out a mass for training sessions and stuff like that. So I try to uh, do that. And then, you know, my wife probably won't agree with this, but I try to wait till after the kids are in bed to try to get, you know, a lot more phone time then too.
0: Yeah. I feel like I would, I would never sleep with your job because like I already, so I have two children and like, I don't know, I'm like constantly worrying. And so I don't sleep at night. Like I'm constantly up all night long. If I had to manage fights or worry about missing a call, I just wouldn't sleep. I would just be checking my phone like twenty four hours a day nonstop. I'm w i worry about everything.
1: I I'm usually up till like one or two in the morning. Um I'll be down here in my office and doing a lot of computers, especially when the have a fight, it's a lot of fight videos and, and stuff like that. Um, you know, breaking down footage as a coach. And then, you know, once I kinda of start getting wind down from that, I'll probably you know, I'll go up and watch a little Netflix in the T V in my room, but I'm still on baby duty. So if one of the kids start crying, I have to go and take care of them and um, and then I, you know, I usually crash around the two, between two and three and, um, you know, usually up anywhere between, you know, eight, fifteen, eight thirty. it just depends. And, um, then you just kind of get things done, you know, right now, Rob's killing me. We're doing wrestling at 7.00 AM on Mondays and Wednesdays, and I'm not a morning person. So it's, like, yeah. it's uh, it's tough, you know, Rob's a morning person, so that's when his sessions make the most sense. And, um. You know, so we've been getting into that. So yeah, this morning I was up at like 5:45. We're wrestling at 7, and then tomorrow I'm picking them up at 6 a.m. and five and five and a half hours. Those assholes would probably get sleep the whole time, but uh, you know, it is what it is. It's uh, I could be sitting at a desk all day, so I have nothing really to complain about.
2: I, I actually, that was one of my questions. So I was uh, looking at the LinkedIn page you got there, and obviously at one point you did work. Looks like, like a nine to five job. Do you ever miss that, or not even a little bit? Never, no,
1: man. I still have PTSD thinking about like how i felt on sunday nights when it was like oh monday's here and like you're just dreading oh it's
0: the freaking worst yep.
1: back to that hellhole they call a work environment it was awful you have these little pipsqueaks telling you what to do and all the same crap. like ah, did you make more calls it's like you remember the movie uh office space
2: yes it was, yeah. it was like,
1: like that's your life they're like ah oh, did you get the new memo or the pts reports or whatever like, yeah. it's just a bunch of red tape it's It's so annoying. They're like, you got to make your 50 calls. It's like, listen, I'll make 50 fake phone calls. Like, you know, no one's going to listen to the voicemails. Like, we can play this game. It's just a bunch of wasting time. And it's like, oh, man, I do not miss it.
2: But did you learn anything from it? I saw you were like a sales rep, account executive. Like, did you take any skills from that? Because I always feel like, you know, you learn like professionalism, like organization, things like that. Did you like take some of that into what you do now as an entrepreneur? Yeah,
1: definitely. Yeah, no, definitely people skills, um, negotiating, you know, negotiating is huge. I think a lot of people don't really know how to negotiate. Uh, I cut my teeth. I I had some really, really smart people sitting around me at Oracle and, um, I'm talking like people that played on the football team with Doug back when he had the Hail Mary, you know, BC, um, just winners, like high level athletes that went into sales and making a ton of money. And, um, those guys are just winners at life and, and everywhere, uh, they go, they kind of just grind through it and figure out how to wait to harder than everybody else and, and 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 you know crush goals. You know, I'm learning from people like that. You know, like how to sell and how to negotiate and you know, um, just just around some really really intelligent people and you know figuring out the whole art of negotiation. And then you get so many cycles with it. So it's like there's one thing that's like you know I always hear people talk about like oh there's no negotiating in MMA. It's like it's all negotiating. It's not just like the numbers. It's the when you ask for the numbers or how you approach it, the vibe going into it, there's a, there's an art to it. And, um, you know, it's, it's hard to put like, it's hard to prove or like explain to someone why you're good at negotiating. You know what I mean? It's, they don't understand that. It's even hard to even to explain. It's just like, you're going through this and you're playing, you're doing this little dance. A lot of times it's over email or text and you're going back and forth. And it's just, uh, it's like you're trying to get a girl, right? You know, you guys are single, you're texting a girl, you know, you really want to get with her, but you know, maybe she doesn't like you, but you're like, well, maybe if I say this, she'll, uh, you know, we can hang out and then we'll, you know, I'll get a chance or whatever. It's kind of like that, you know, you're recording something and, and you're trying to like play your cards right to get what you want and, uh, um, but also know when when a deal is fair and and or when it's not and and understanding the the landscape of the environment and where everything else is at and kind of like you know are you fixing a problem for them or are they giving you a layup you know so there's a lot of like just a, a whole like art to it it's this big dance that you're dancing that a lot of people don't understand so it's really hard to even express like what you're doing that other people aren't doing but um, yeah I mean I had a lot of experience doing it in the tech world. And I think that's the one thing that's really carried over into uh into and and then just seeing, I think the experience I got there too, was like, you got to see what made people successful and what made people successful short-term and then long-term. Short-term, you can pull some shady crap and make some money and, and go, but it's like, you're burning bridges and there's no longevity in that. And then long-term, it might be a little harder. You have to work, work a little bit harder, put in some extra hours, but uh You're going to be successful over time and people are going to really respect you and that's the approach i took in mma is you know i'll never lie to my fighters i'll never do anything shady i'll group my fights together like oh give this guy a fight and i'll give you this guy too you know it's like no no this guy's separate from this guy and you know there's no like i'm not trying to pull shady deals about making deals with other coaches like oh, i'll give you this guy to manage you're going to cut me on your coaching percentage or you know stuff like that or I don't know. I just, there's a lot of shady stuff that goes on in MMA that somehow has become common practice and acceptable. And I just, I play that game. I think, uh, you know, you gotta have integrity. I just, I live in this, in this life. I just assume that everything I do would be written on a chat form for people to see and judge by.
0: Nice. And I and also I, think I, that I
1: ramble all the time. Like, I guess, no, it's cool. In a million different directions.
0: No, <laughs> no, I just no. get passionate I, I... about
1: this stuff. Cause I feel like there's a lot of, nefarious characters in this industry that like get put up on this pedestal as being like amazing at what they do and maybe they are but like you can't say they're good people you know just because you get someone something that they want doesn't mean you're a good person and it's just you know it's just hard when you see like people that are cutting corners and people that are doing shady things and people that necessarily don't have the fighter's best interest in mind um getting put up on this pedestal like they're somehow some saviors these fighters that they really don't even care about
0: we appreciate it. I mean, the, you're the first uh, manager that we've had on the show, so I mean, this is a new insight for us. We've only interviewed fighters so far, so I mean, it's it's great insight insight uh, information for us. Um, and also, yeah. I want to say that we must be good negotiators because we're all married. So I mean, I think that we are decent negotiators. Or you house just
1: got sick of being single settled, right? <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh We're not gonna. We're gonna just pretend you didn't say that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll edit. We'll, we'll cut that um so i'm gonna steal another one of steve's questions who is the better golfer rob or calvin calvin because they're always on the links
1: yeah no calvin's a lot better well i want to say a lot better rob started playing like only a few years ago calvin's kind of been playing his whole life um so calvin's naturally better but rob's like improving more but then when rob had the acl injury i don't think he golfed that much so still think calvin's better but when me and Rico DeShulo played against Robin Calvin like three or four years ago in the doubles, me and Rico won. So um they still don't – they don't want the smoke. You know, we went head-to-head we went <laughs> head against them We played uh, um, best ball rules, and, and me and Rico won. I think, like, at hole 15, we were up, like, 13 to 2. We won 13 of the holes, and Calvin just kept saying, like, no, let's double down. Let's double down. It's like – he just kept losing. So Yeah, we beat him. You- that was probably like, three or four years ago.
2: Do you guys have a, like a handicap? Like are you that good? Or is it just uh, no, kind of I'm like
1: awful. I'm horrible. Rico's pretty <laughs> okay. good. I I'm just you know, we're probably using Rico ball the whole time, but no, I'm not good at golf at all. I literally just go so I can drink some energy drinks and uh hang out with the boys outside and uh eat a hot dog night. You know, it's it's nothing there's no competitiveness in golf for me. What's
2: I'll the listen. home course?
1: Uh, they used to play a lot at Merrimack Valley Country Club. And then yeah. they just got like a membership at a small 9 hole place. I can't even remember the name of it. That's where Tom played a lot last year just to get quick sessions in. He would do like a quick session in the morning and meet us at training.
2: So maybe I'll hop over to Merrimack Valley just a little more frequently. Maybe I'll run into Calvin Cater. Right.
0: I was actually going to uh or ask do you feel like you had a golfing advantage because like you're in the business world I feel like a lot of things are done on the links when it comes to like being a businessman.
1: No, nah, I cuz when when I was in sales I was like inside sales so when I went to you know travel it was more like trade shows and and different things like that. Um I wasn't like I hadn't got to the field yet so I wasn't like always on the field doing business meetings and stuff. So yeah, golf man I awful at golf i I don't even say it's fun just because you're outside but it's more of just a a bro activity you're out there to be with the boys and you know uh just be outside and not be nagged by the old lady and uh (laughs) you know get some get some facetime with your friends
0: i suck i'm fucking terrible so i can barely (laughs) hit a golf ball so i mean i'm god awful so i uh i'm trying to get into it but for something as expensive as it is, and I have a, I have a very, very bad temper, like golf clubs will be flying in the fucking water if I can't <laughs> hit the ball. I can see that. So last couple questions, and then that, we'll let you go because it is uh, Monday night, and you have some things that you obviously probably have to get done. So what is uh, one name under Top Game we should keep an eye on?
1: I mean, uh, we have a few prospects, you know, like Carlos Candelario, seven and zero, won three years ago in the Contender Series, but tore his ACL and then he had kind of a tough return, but he's finally come back in April, so he's has guy I think who one fight and then be in the UFC. Um, you know, Tom Pag's making his pro debut Thursday night. He's a good prospect. Um, you know, coming off of a good win streak as an amateur, then you got Poso, who's five and zero as a pro. Um, you know, Eddie George, only 2-0, and but, uh, you know, he's dealing with some injuries right now. And, um, yeah, we just, we got some good guys coming up. You know, Cameron up is, uh, you know, he just went lost with Bellator, but he won five five fights in a row before that with, uh, I think he's 5-0 and with Bellator, and he's 10th overall now, but he was on a seven-fight injury streak, and he just had a really, really exciting prelim fight a few months back, and uh, so I think we can get some big things from him and see him and... Um, you know, we got, uh, you know, Rock Martin just got released by the UFC after that, Neil you know, magnified UFC 250 in a fight that I thought he won. It was his uh, last fight of his contract. And, you know, I'm interested to see like what opens up for him. I know, uh, PFL had interest, but they had just gotten full when he got released. So there wasn't a spot. So, you know, maybe we could slide in there late injury replacement type thing, or, you know, Bellator is going to start matching a bunch of cards soon and, um, you know, he, he could find a home and he's the guy that can make a run in any organization. You know, you, I, I really do think he beat Neil Magny, who and I, I think Neil Magney's is kind of a perennial top 10 guy. And, um, you know, so he's shown that he's up there with the top guys and he can compete. So I'm just excited to see where we can uh, get him to land on his feet and, and make a run somewhere else.
0: All right, I have one more question. Steve has rapid fire and then you're good to go. Um, what is one thing aside from golf that you are better than Calvin and Rob at?
1: I'm not better at golf than Calvin and oh, Rob. Okay. They're better than me. Okay, okay. <laughs>
0: you beat him. You beat him. So I didn't know if, if that was you. No, you it was your buddy. Uh,
1: okay, okay. okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm not better than that. So one thing I'm better than that. Um, so one thing I'm better than. Calvin is like portion control me and Ben both have a sweet tooth but like he'll go harder than me and I can kind of just eat a little bit and stop uh I don't know if that's better or worse but um and then Rob is probably yeah I think I can like I'm probably better at staying up long term I think it was really stupid but like Rob's Really good at nothing. This is me throwing something that Rob did to and something I'm better at. I'm better at not sleeping. Like, Rob will fall asleep on a plane. Me and Calvin will be sitting there, and then by, before we take off, Rob's like, and then he'll just wake up. Like, me and Calvin are like tossing and turning. We're trying to get comfortable. We're miserable on the plane. We cannot sleep. So, I guess you could say, like, I'm better at not sleeping. That's really like saying Rob's really good at sleeping. Um, trying to think of anything else I could say is, uh, yeah, I mean, how's a better I mean, being able than to Robin. stay awake?
0: being able to stay awake is pretty good because i mean my buddy over here i drive everywhere because he'll fall asleep like i think it's a good <laughs> thing to not be able to fall asleep
1: yeah i'll say this i'm better with my phone than they are both those guys they are not responsive a lot of the times As I, just, <laughs> if, I, I if i need if i really need rob i call his girl if i really need calvin I call his mom so uh, <laughs> i'm better i'm more responsive with my phone i'll say that
0: that's that's also very important that is the worst when you're just trying to get a hold of someone and it's like important and they just do not answer that might be the most annoying thing on the planet i'll call my wife like a hundred times see i always say this if i was dying i'm not calling my wife and i'm not calling my in-laws because they would never answer i'd be dead before they showed up i would have to call like my mom or or my buddy carrie over here because like they don't they don't answer the phone at all it's terrible
1: the well, more you know
0: yeah all right steve rapid fire and then we will let tyson uh hit the road
2: all right so just some quick questions here just whatever comes off the top of your head it's like two options these are made for fighters but it would actually be interesting to hear it from a coach's perspective as well um so let's start here crowd or no crowd crowd even
0: even even though you like it's easier to communicate with your fighters when there's no crowd true
1: yeah, but it's the, the energy I feel like these guys their whole career is an experience, right? And you know, I, Calvin has that memory of jumping up on the cage at UFC two twenty after knocking out Burgos. We get a picture of him on the cage, like flexing, and then behind him is like machine gun Kelly with his hands up. Like, you know, um just imagine how that would have been if the elbow they knocked out Jeremy Stevens with. Just imagine if that arena was full. That that
2: true
1: that thrill that you get from the crowd, you can feel it and uh, I think these guys are being robbed of a lot of uh, not robbed by anybody, but missing out on a lot of like cool opportunities with the fans. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, that's what the, you know, we wouldn't be anything if it wasn't for the fans. So the fans being there, it, it definitely does bring a different level of energy. It makes it more fun. Um, and We figure out ways for them to be able to hear us, too. You know, you can still hear. There's certain times where it gets a little loud. You, you know, it's harder, but you can usually generally still hear us.
2: All right, uh, the next one, Apex or Fight Island? Apex all day. Hometown Fight Is, Night.
0: Wait, does that mean – we've actually heard a lot of horror stories about Fight Island, and also Scott Holtzman says he hates it because it's like you get taxed and everything else, and it's actually a hidden nightmare.
1: Uh, I'm not noticing that there was really tax. I mean, maybe he just did his taxes this year. I don't know, but I, I was getting the vibe that they weren't. You know, when you go to like Brazil and Australia, it's like Australia taxed you like 35% or something. Oh my um, God. Yeah. So like the, the the checks in Abu Dhabi weren't taxed uh, when they come back. I don't know how they worked that out with the taxes. And, you know, we're, we're still doing our taxes here, but um, it's just a process. You know, you fly six hours to Vegas, you quarantine two days, then you fly 15 and a half hours to Abu Dhabi. Um, you quarantine 48 hours, getting tested twice during that process. And then you can finally come out, but guess what? You can only come out and walk around in the hotel or directly in like the parking lot around the hotel. It's not even a parking lot, it's just like the property. So there's nothing to do. And then you have like two or three little restaurant options. The food's not horrible, but stay anywhere for 13 days, the food's gonna start to get boring. Um, And then in the summer, it's 120 degrees with 85% humidity. So it's like as hot as Vegas, but it's more humid than Florida. And then in the winter, It's like the weather is nicer, but you you still can't do anything. So you're kind of just, it's literally like, I called it a five-star prison, you know, and it's like, (laughs) um, you're in this five-star hotel, but you can't do anything. And um, yeah, it just gets, it just gets boring, you know, and like, I'm sure Abu Dhabi is beautiful. You know, we're grateful that the UFC is putting on cards and that they're getting there. But if we have the choice between Abu Dhabi and Apex, we will go to Apex every single time.
2: There you go. Um, hometown fight night or main card on the pay-per-view?
1: Uh, I don't care about location on the card. Hometown is fun. you know. Hometown, get good energy there. Um, I say that, but Rob and Calvin both won. They were on the main card of the pay-per-view. So, uh, I guess we got spoiled, double spoiled on that one. Yeah, I'd say home card.
2: Fight of the year award or knockout of the year award?
1: Knockout of the year. Fight of the year means you probably got hurt and some damage and uh didn't you weren't as dominant
0: uh calvin might be in the running for fight of the year
1: yeah but by the end of the year they're gonna forget about it i know it always happens um you know uh what would drive
2: you sorry what what would drive you crazy or a bad bad judge
1: a bad what or a bad judge
2: a bad stoppage
1: bad stoppage or a bad judge uh Probably a bad judge because a bad stoppage, everybody thinks, like, oh, that was bullshit. You know, when you get a bad stoppage in a fight, even the matchmakers are like, oh, that was weird. But the matchmakers, they never come into your defense uh, when it's bad judging. They're kind of like, hey, you shouldn't try to finish them, you know?
2: Also true. If a restaurant had a Tyson Chartier special, what would it be?
1: It would be whole milk with a bunch of Hershey syrup in it for dessert.
2: Oh, the sweet <laughs> that, tooth. That's,
1: is- that's so fat. That's so fat. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um outside of what you do now what what would be your dream job
1: i mean i feel like i quit my career to do my dream job i'm kind of doing it but um yeah i mean i i just you ever watch yellowstone you ever see that on it's on i haven't heard about it uh you guys have watch that it's like i think it's in montana they're on a big ranch i would love to just like tend to a ranch but not actually have to tend to the ranch I just want to kind of be a, a layabout <laughs> at a ranch, you know, me, my wife, my kids just hanging out on a ranch, but not actually have to like do anything with the animals other than look at them and maybe ride the horses or something. Um, yeah, I would just, just be like retired on a ranch where I don't have to take care of the animals.
0: So just hire someone to to do the there work. You go. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's not really a job. I guess my dream job is to not have to have a job, but...
0: I mean, that's, a, really that's why we're trying... That's why we're trying to do this, so like we actually don't have to work. We can just like talk right. and bullshit with people. You it's way more
1: fun. Yeah.
0: Uh, favorite movie?
1: Oh man, I like anything Will Ferrell. You know, me and my sister. You know, she does. She's always uh, always quoting like you know Step Brothers and stuff like that. And uh, you know, yeah, anything funny stuff like that. But I mean, all time favorite movie. i would say all time. I'll say Gladiator. But, nice. Uh, with Russell Crowe is always a good movie. It's one you can rewatch and still enjoyable.
2: Uh, favorite pump up song.
1: I don't know. Like, right. Me and Calvin, we got into like a, uh, oh, now I'm going to draw a blank on his name. Some country song, some country guy, uh, I don't uh, know. up Church? No, it was some guy. Uh, we even put a quote on him on Instagram or something like that. But, um, yeah i feel like
0: bad, people yeah. are all on Upchurch. that's the only that's the only like pump up country guy i know up, so
1: up church um
0: up church yeah i don't know
1: yeah i don't know i'm gonna i'm gonna pass that out. that's a
0: tough one a lot of people have a hard time with that one which yeah. is weird because like fighters with their walkout songs and stuff like i i, I pictured them to yeah, like I be used to more into music
1: to, uh, all the above by uh mano and t-pain but um that's a good one. Now I'm posting up I hear it now. I get because like Mitch Reposo I'll corner him for his fights and he walks out to it now. So I'm kinda like, of okay, I passed the torch. And he's winning with it now, so that makes me happy. But so we'll uh, go with that. Yeah, we'll go we we'll all the above. My T pain and May All
2: right, just uh last few here. Who's the best Bantamweight in your opi- in your opinion? Not name Rob Fawn.
1: I mean, it's hard. He cheated, you know, TJ, but it's Ah, man fucking you guys say tj or henry you know i think it'll be interesting to see what tj comes back as he did cheat so i gotta go with henry Zahudo.
2: do you think Sahudo comes back 2021
1: i think he only comes back for like a super fight
2: yeah i think maybe. coming
1: back 2021 i don't man if he waits past 2021 i don't I think people lose interest probably but um, but
2: there's so much going on in that division too it's like how do you fit him in
1: yeah he he just inserts himself wherever he wants to i guess yeah because he's
0: triple c (laughs) i think that if he comes back he can do whatever he wants right uh same question
2: for featherweight is it max Holloway? i
1: yeah i think even before that fight i I was saying i think that max holloway's probably the greatest of all time i think
2: he's got a bunch of records
1: he's beat a lot of the guys i think uh you know he beat you know he beat aldo um and, you know, the only other argument could be Aldo, you know?
2: I think he beat him uh, twice, too, didn't say,
1: he? Right. Like, yeah. And you can't say Connor because Connor like, kind of won and then moved up. And, um, you know, it's, it's got to be Max, right? Do
2: you think Volkanovski yeah, well, has a case, though?
1: I don't think so because a lot of people are arguing that he lost that last fight. hes It's not like he's, you know, so he's defended the belt, what, once now? Yeah. I don't think you can defend that once and become the greatest of all time.
0: Yeah, he would have to defend it as many times, if not more, than Max. Max defended it forever. And he's yeah. still like 29. But uh, yeah.
2: last question, describe your coaching style using one word.
1: Calculated.
2: Nice.
0: So I many like people that say before. that, yeah. I love that answer, though, Like, because it does apply to fighting, because a lot of fighters say that, but coaching as well.
1: Yeah, I think you, you just try not to say bullshit to say bullshit. It's, it's, it bugs me so much when I hear these coaches yelling stupid shit. And then Joe Rogan's like, that was awesome. It's like, well, okay, let's break it down, Joe. What did he actually say?
0: Uh, well, you know? Don't and get I'm us started on Joe me. Rogan. We yeah. are so yeah, out on Joe Rogan.
1: Oh, man. It's like, it's just frustrating because they'll be like, listen to what he said. He gave him great advice. He'll, he'll, a coach will be like, all right. Don't muscle it. It's like, well, no shit. Don't muscle it. All right. We, I'm pretty sure he knows that. Like give him some advice. Tell him what to do. But he'll like take generic advice that like you, like no, no offense to you guys, you guys could be in the corner and give that same advice. And like, it's nothing revolutionary. It's not like he does. The fighter doesn't already know that. Like, give him some technical advice, you know? Um, yeah. There's nothing more annoying than when you hear coaches saying stupid stuff and then they keep getting rewarded for it. But you know, it's, it's, it's entertaining at the same time, you know, like, I don't know, man. It's I don't yell stupid shit. Just yell stupid shit.
0: Joe Rogan needs to be off commentary, especially after last week, man. When he's saying Izzy was went like dominating that fight, and then
1: there, there was I don't know at what point he like did he? So I, and I'm just go, I would so I woke up at 4 a.m., jumped on two different planes, got home at like three o'clock, hung out with the kids for a few hours, then watched the fight. I was exhausted, but I feel like there was one time where I remember they showed this the. the the significant strike stats and it was like on every level Jan was ahead of Izzy and you know Izzy's really picking him apart but Jan's landing the bigger shots but Izzy's really picking him apart yes in what world like it's like I could see if you didn't have the stat right in front of you but how is he picking them apart by landing less shots and the and then you're saying the other guy's landing harder shots so how can you say that he's winning
2: we we said it if you were not able to watch it and you could only listen you would have thought izzy was running away with that fight through the first three yeah. rounds
1: i t- i texted aaron bronster uh Bronster or bronster after because he had it like 39 37 going into the
0: yeah the, that guy's the, also the, drunk
1: i i don't know if he was, i was like i was like bro do you do you need glasses and uh and he's like no 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 it wasn't close it was it was close wasn't it i was like no nah, i can see it was, it was close but like because honestly like when they were to the decision I was like, huh, I'm pretty sure. Obviously, Jan won the fourth and the fifth. I got to assume they gave him at least one of the first three. But, like, if they would have given all three to Adesanya, I don't think a lot of people would have, like, been like, oh, my God. Like, clearly I thought Jan won. But it wasn't like he was doing anything crazy that you could say, like, oh, 100% he won and he got robbed. Like, the first three rounds went to Adesanya. Like, it would have been kind of BS. But, like. You're like, all right, well, no one really did any damage or anything like that except for that, what was it, the third round where he. it was the second or third round where he got with that big hook. We caught Jan with it. Um, that was kind was of the second. only time he really looked a little hurt. But, um, yeah, man, it was uh, – yeah, I, I was still kind of uh, – I'm pretty sure you gonna one, but, like, who knows?
0: Yeah, and then Joe Rogan asked also asked uh, Jan Blahovich. When he uh, about when he fought at like middleweight, and Jan's like, yeah, I never fought at middleweight ever in my life. That's <laughs> how you mean, know it's like, bro, like you don't even you're commentating in the UFC. You don't even know, like that's embarrassing.
1: Yeah, I think it's just like he. I mean, I think he's also like he hates his dues. He gets to kind of do whatever he wants. Like, you know, he there's some nostalgia to it. I think the fighters, you know, it's cool having Joe Rogan interview you. Um, you know, I don't. He obviously doesn't probably come and do the same prep work as the other guys. He, he's just adding a certain flair to it that uh, yeah. he, he can get away with making mistakes like that. Obviously it was dominant, you know, some of the other guys doing mistakes like that it would be a bigger deal. But I don't think, I think, I don't think the expectation is that we're expecting Joe Rogan to come in with like notes and notes of, or pages and pages of notes on the stuff. He's just kind of there to add value and, you know, banter with dc and uh and anik and uh you know it's it is he's he there is, to, he, he's, he's to the there. casual i think
0: he's and yeah. he's there he's there for everyone to hear this is the greatest fight i've ever seen because he says that once every single card every single card he will say at least one time this is the greatest fight i have ever seen absolutely the most
1: underrated fighter in the whole ufc yep um, he said that right
0: yep and,
1: uh, yeah which I mean, he got
0: destroyed show.
1: <laughs> I picked him. I was trying to think. I was like, I, I thought he was going to lose, but I'm like, oh, I'll be. I'll look really I bet cool. him I by knockout. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I, 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 I bet uh, him by knockout just in case. But
1: Yeah, I think I went like seven and two. I didn't pick all the fights. You like, just don't know who he is. And so I picked, and uh, it was Benavidez and Dober. I lost, but then I uh, I won the other seven.
0: Oof. Tough, tough. I think that's the end for Joey B, which sucks. I'm a big Benavidez fan, but.
1: I just don't ever want him to lose. It's like he's such a nice guy, his wife's so nice. Like I always cheer for him to win and uh you know it's um it's tough I was pulling for that one.
2: Yeah, I mean figurato two times, then he gets Askarov. they're not doing him any favors.
0: Yeah, that's also
2: yeah. true. That's tough, yeah.
1: That's when you top of that on everybody's freaking alliance. it's tough. Yeah.
0: For sure. Well, Tyson, hey, we really appreciate the time taking your your Monday night to come hang out with us. We'd love to have you back on again in the future. And, uh, again, thanks for, for taking the time to hang out with us.
1: No problem, guys. Thanks for having me.
0: Yep, take Absolutely. it easy, and best of luck with everything in the future. Thank you. Thank you.